I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Welcome back, Prakaptan. I am glad you are here, and I hope you had a great weekend. Today, we're going to be going through meditation number seven from book number five. Before I start, please remember that our monthly workshops happen every month, and this month, July, the topic is on sex and sexuality from the Stoic perspective. Do the Stoics expect us to have boring sex for reproduction purposes only, as Musonius Rufus seems to suggest? What is the Stoic position on other-than-straight relationships? What is required of our sex or sexuality for it to be, quote-unquote, Stoic? Anything at all? Everything at all? You'll need to attend to find out. Learn more at actualstoicism.com and sign up for our future workshops. Attendance is by donation only, with a minimum donation of just $1, so these are very accessible monthly events. All right, here we go. Meditation number seven from book five. It's a shorter one, but I think it will spur some fun and interesting thoughts. Here it is. A prayer of the people of Athens. Rain, beloved Zeus, rain on the cornfields and the plains of Attica. One ought to pray thus, simply and freely, or not pray at all. Marcus has made much ado in previous meditations about the nature of prayer. But this is the first time we get an example of a prayer he considers to be, let's say, acceptable. I want to start by saying I don't know how religious, in the contemporary sense, Marcus was. What I do know is that he believed in the Stoic God. And with that in mind, it is unlikely he believed in the power of prayer the way that some do today. He did not believe, in any way I can find, that God that is to say, nature, or the universe as a whole, would change its plans to accommodate our human desires or wants. Marcus wouldn't pray, for example, for a bicycle. Not least because he didn't know what a bicycle was, I don't think, but he wouldn't have if and if he did. Or for his enemies to be smote. Or for something to be unnaturally different. But would he pray for rain? I don't know. Let's unpack it a bit. What is Marcus really saying here? That you should pray because it helps, 
or that if you do pray, it should be for simple things that fit within the confines of what is natural and appropriate. My suspicion is the latter, that Marcus is saying something like, look, if you're going to pray, pray in a way that you wouldn't be ashamed if someone heard your prayers, but also in a way that what you're asking for is something nature can actually deliver. And if you want to call nature Zeus, that's fine, but don't expect things from him that defy reason. Of course, I'm not getting all of that from this meditation alone. I'm leaning on some of the meditations we've covered before, but also from one we haven't. And it is from Book 9. It reads like this. That man prays, May I come to sleep with that woman? But you, may I not desire to sleep with her? Another prays, May I be rid of this man? But you, may I no longer wish to be rid of him? Or another, may I not lose my little child? But you, may I not be afraid of losing him? In a word, turn your prayers around in such a way and see what comes of them. So when you pray, according to Marcus, I think, you are praying for the strength to stand on your own two feet than for something to be done for you because, as part of God— as someone who owns a portion of the divine, who is composed of a portion of the divine, you have the same abilities God does. You are, after all, part of the universe. So you are imbued, let's say, with the same things that the universe is imbued with. Why ask for reprieve from pain instead of for the strength to endure pain? Donald Robertson, who I think will be a guest on this podcast soon and has been in the past, if I'm not mistaken, has said on this topic, quote, Marcus Aurelius, in his Philosophical Reflections, described how Stoics might pray as a form of self-improvement. He describes an approach to prayer that resembles the use of affirmations and could be of value even to atheists or agnostics as a self-help technique. So did Marcus Aurelius pray? Yes, I think from time to time, though certainly not daily by his bedside, it is likely that Marcus prayed. But what did he think he was accomplishing in his prayers? Did he think that God, nature, the universe, was going to grant him some power or gift him some object that he could not summon or obtain on his own? It seems unlikely. Instead, in this meditation, Marcus seems to be suggesting that if you're going to pray, you had better do it for the things you can't provide yourself and that nature can. Rain is a good example. If you're going to pray for something you can provide yourself, why would you pray? As an affirmation, perhaps, as a way of motivating yourself and reminding yourself that the power to endure, for example, is a power you already have, that nature has already granted this power to you. Marcus Aurelius wasn't an atheist, I'm not suggesting that, and that much I would hope would be obvious. Although I've argued that an atheist can believe in the Stoic concept of God, as the Stoic concept of God is neither personal nor supernatural, excepting the opinion of Epictetus, but Marcus was most certainly someone who believed in a God unlike that of more recent religions. Marcus would have found, for example, the Christian, Jewish, or Islamic concepts of God to be quite strange. He would have found Mormonism, likely, even stranger finding a sort of kinship, perhaps, only in some forms of Buddhism. But even that, Buddhism, with its ghosts and supernatural planes of existence, would have been odd to Marcus. 
By the same token, many pagan faiths would have seemed bizarre as well. Magical, shape-shifting druids and the like. No. The Stoics seemed more or less to believe that the world was simply natural. That supernatural or extra-human or beyond nature was simply unnecessary and unreasonable. Not silly, mind you. Not to be mocked. Not to be condescended to. Just unnecessary personalization and anthropomorphizing of nature. This is hard. I can tell you from personal experience to explain to modern religious types and atheists alike, because the former wants to educate you to accepting what they perceive to be a more enlightened, intelligent, and reverential view of existence, while the latter, the atheists, want to educate you to accepting what they perceive to be a more enlightened, intelligent, and individual-centric view of existence. Stoics are a sort of march-stepper which is a very old high German word that refers to someone who walks the border between two zones, let's say, or areas. Traditionally, it's between the realms of good and evil or of the living and the dead. We Stoics believe that there is divinity in the rational order and function of the universe, and we are inclined to be reverential towards that divinity. But we don't give that divinity a name, per se. We don't suggest it dictates orders to us or demands us to live in a certain way or demands our reverence at all, only that it must be the most good thing in existence because it is existence itself, the universe, nature, etc. And if that's the case, we should want to do what we can to emulate it or at least not be in its way. And that doing so, emulating it and not getting in its way, is accomplished by becoming good ourselves. So we're too reverential for the atheists and too naturalistic for the theists. It can be frustrating. And if you feel that frustration, I want you to know that I feel it as well, sharply. Just remember what other people think about what we do or don't believe personally as Stoics or frankly as anything else is an indifferent and does not have the ability to compromise our character unless we choose to allow it to. So, when an atheist or a theist says you're not far enough in their direction and you need to be this way or that, or somehow you're stupid or silly or a heathen, accept that they believe what they believe with the same level of justification, we hope, that you feel you have for believing what you believe, and leave them to continue to believe their things. It is very rarely of use to argue about these sorts of things. Don't proselytize your Stoicism, because as a Stoic, you certainly probably don't appreciate the proselytization done by, let's say, Christians, or, let's say, atheists. No one likes to be judged or condescended to for their beliefs, however they define those things. And if those things are kept largely to the individual's self, there's no reason to do that. So today, if you feel like it, you can go stand in your front yard and pray for rain, or a cool breeze, or maybe a snowstorm. Although I'm in North Carolina at the moment, it's the dead of summer. I don't think that will happen to me, so I will have to pray very hard. Or if you're just looking for a bit of motivation, pray for the strength to endure another day of work under that one manager you can't stand. And realize, in fact, that you've already got the power of endurance within yourself. And until next time, take care. Take care.